Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Welcome everyone. So glad that we could be here together. Today we want to speak about what is the Spirit-filled church? What is the Spirit-filled church? You know, we get used to the fact of going through the motions at church. You know, we go to liturgy, we attend a meeting, we have our cup of coffee. But that's not how God envisioned the church. And for many churches today, many churches today, church is just, it's a sermon and a cup of coffee and some songs and that's it. But that's not what we are and that's not what the church of the books, book of Acts is. We, are, we take such pride in the fact in our church, in our apostolic origin, right? We always say that, that Saint Mar, the, the Coptic Orthodox Church has its origin from the apostles, that St. Mark came to Egypt and preached that gospel, and that has been passed down from generation to generation. And that as you see the church going through the generations, it's being passed down always in power. It's always in power. There was never a time in which we just see the church kind of just, again, coffee hours, some cool lights. That's not what the church ever was. Also, what we received from the Lord, what we received from the apostles, we kept, we preserved the teachings of Christ we delivered, that was delivered to the apostles. We preserved the ways of worship. What you see upstairs and what we just prayed in liturgy, that is the church of the book of Acts, right? That is the church of the book. We don't, this is not just one way to do things. This is not just our style versus this is what Christ gave to the apostles and the apostles gave to the church. Why? Because of what it's supposed to do in the church. Because of what it's supposed to accomplish in the church. I'm almost like when, when you look at what the church was, out of the ordinary, world-changing an irresistible lifestyle or mission, impact on the world. When you read the book of Acts, it should blow you away. And so last Thursday, we celebrated the Feast of the Ascension. A lot of people don't know what is so special about the Feast of the Ascension. Christ resurrected, and then we know that he ascended. And the church makes it a major feast, and it's something that we celebrate. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? And that Christ who became man, took our human nature, went into heaven where no man has ever gone, where no man could ever go, and he sat at the right hand of his Father. So the Lord Jesus took you and me with himself, where you and I had no chance of going to heaven, but because the Lord Jesus took our human nature, and he conquered death, and he ascended into heaven, so he opened up the gates for all of us to be with him in heaven. That is a big deal, right? That's why the Feast of the Ascension comes on a Thursday because it's on the 40th day after resurrection. But it's a very, very special thing. And now, what is the next feast of the church coming up next week? Pentecost. Pentecost we call the Feast of Feasts in the Coptic Church. It's called the Feast because it is the time in which it's the birthday of the church. It was what has brought us up until this point that everything Christ had done on earth was for Pentecost, that not only would the Holy Spirit be with man, but the Holy Spirit would be in man. 
that the Holy Spirit would be living and vibrant in the church. I've always had the desire, and that's why I've always loved missions and going on missionary trips, and, and you always find me talking about missions because that is what the church is supposed to do. That's what the church budget is supposed to be for. It's not for buildings and TVs and light shows and stuff like that. The budget of the church is supposed to be for what? Building the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel, feeding the poor and the hungry, bringing Christ to the world. And so it is my prayer that our church would be just like it was in the early church on fire. No matter how good liturgy is, sermons are, sooner or later, your spiritual life is going to become stale. We just sit here. That's nice. I could watch it on TV. I could hear it on the radio. That's great. Because the church is not meant to be like a show that we watch. The church is meant to be something that we live and we experience powerfully. So everything that you are here taking, you don't want to become spiritually fat, so fat that, it, that you need to burn off those calories, right? You need to burn off all that you're hearing and being filled with in the work of God. And going and making a change in the world. And that's always what the church was supposed to be. You see, the disciples, when they went out in the early church, from the year 33 to 64 AD, all the way from the birth of the church to the martyrdom of St. Peter and St. Paul, a couple of dozen men and women started moving and changing the history of the world. Not so that we could say, Good for you. That was a great story. I'm glad we can tell our children the story. It's to say that this is you. That when you read the book of Acts, you should say, okay, this is the church. This is what the church be on fire. I want you to imagine these young, simple men weren't super educated, were not trained. Even the people said they were untrained men. They were not very, very intellectual. They did it against an incredible opposition. They went against the Roman Empire. Do you understand what it means that if I guys, I, I tell you guys, hey, you know, this left side of the room, let's go, let's overthrow the White House. You're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like you woke up too early for liturgy, go back to sleep. Like you're like, what are you talking about? We're going to go, we're going to change the belief system of all of America, and we're going to go. So they, over, they, they went in front of the opposition of the Roman Empire. Great immorality, the, the great sinfulness and darkness. They were offering children as sacrifices. Prostitution was a part of worship. You know, when you read about the great um, Diana of the Ephesians, this was their worship prostitution and sinful sexual living very very hard to now start a new way of work of worship drunkenness war they had no money they had no earthly authority no earthly weapons i would imagine the question would be how do you want us to do this lord like wh what are you talking about i'm going to send you out and you're going to be witnesses to jerusalem and judea and samaria and all the ends of the earth you're like okay like with what with, with, like, what, what kind of budget are we going to have? What, what's the bottom line going to look like? Who's gonna, are we going to have swords? Are we going to have army tanks? How are we going to do this? I want you to imagine. It's so crazy 
to put it into perspective, it's like trying to go into a hostile Islamic nation today with the intent of converting the whole country. It's like saying, okay guys, we're going to take a mission trip to Pakistan and we're going to make the attempt of converting all of Pakistan. What's your reaction? I'll tell you, when we went to, we went to Greece and we were serving um, Islamic missionaries, uh, oh sorry, Islamic refugees who were coming, fleeing from ISIS and everything that was happening in Syria and Iraq. And we went to, they, they have to go on a long journey through Turkey and they got to Greece. And tens of thousands of refugees stopped in Greece. So we went, I took a group of, of people, I said, we're going to go and we're going to serve and we're going to preach and we're going to do... So, of course, we packed like, you know, socks and toothbrushes and toothpaste and travel-sized toothpaste, okay? We go out, we preach, and the group is having a great time. They're playing with the kids and we're sharing. We're like, you know, doing some service. And then I said, all right, guys, time to go preaching. They're like, uh, what do you mean? I'm like, we're getting, now it's time to like, we need... We didn't come to give them travel-sized toothpaste, like... <laughs> like, okay, that'll last them for, for four days, and then what? They're like, but you know, like, we can't. they're all refugees. They're all Islamic refugees. You go into a camp, it's all, and they're like, what do you mean, Abuna? And I'm like, no, we're going to go out, and we're going to, you know, start speaking to them. They're like, I don't think so, Abuna. I don't, like, we can't, you know, enforce our, our, our faith on them. We can't impose our stuff on them. Just like, you know, let's just encourage them and show them love. I said, never. Ne we are never going to do that. We've got a big argument with me against the whole group. <laughs> the whole group didn't want to go along. I said, okay, I'm going by myself. They're like, what do you mean? I said, okay, somebody just find me the DVD of the Jesus movie. It's the Jesus, like the life of Jesus. And they're like, you're not going to find it. I'm like, I need it in Arabic or in Farsi, which is like the language of, of, for, for the Afghans, Afghanistan people. They're like, you're not going to find it. We look through some suitcases. I flip over a suitcase flap. Goes a CD flying in the air. Hey, what is that? It's a DVD of the life of Jesus. <laughs> like, this is like 30 seconds after our argument. Okay. So the group is like freaked out. What's going on here? I said, okay, we're going to go. And they speak Arabic. So I said, we're going to go. And we're going to sing some Arabic Christian songs. We'll have the guitar and we'll start to like gather together. So I had one of the young girls who has a beautiful voice. And she plays the guitar. And we started sitting in the middle of a camp of Islamic refugees singing like praise songs, little by little. We had been going every day. We heard their stories. We cried with them. We prayed with them. We fed them. We got the medicine. We took care of their kids. We were changing their kids' diapers. We were cleaning their bathrooms. So we went in there. We started singing. People start to gather. And then, all right, guys, I brought you guys a movie today. Uh, everybody get your kids, your family ready, set up. We're going to set up a movie in about 10 minutes. So we're in a... In a in a refugee camp, so there's no electricity. It's like a parking lot. So the guys, they had some brilliant guys. They got a car, like a, like a car, and they hooked up the laptop to the engine battery. And they had these plug, and then they got the projector. And here we are now. You look into this Islamic refugee camp, and crucified Jesus is just on a big screen in Arabic. Everybody's sitting there. Everyone is veiled, right? It's a bunch of veiled uh, women and, and bearded men, they're sitting there and they're watching. And we're walking around the whole time, praying the Psalms and praying. I said, we did not come to just give out toothpaste. We're coming with the power of God. We went and they watched the movie. And little by little, 
people are, are pulling us aside. Hey, uh, Father, I'd like to speak to you. We go, and they whisper, they look, we want to become Christians. And then another one, what do we have to do to become Christians? Power, fire. People are just waiting for the church to be what the church is supposed to be, fire. It's not supposed to be the chips and dips that we have today. I'll tell you, I was telling this to a, to a Protestant church about a month ago. They invited me to speak about the Coptic martyrdom. Until we, the church, accept to die for Christ, we have to die for Christ. We have to say, no matter what, we will serve Jesus. We will shine Jesus in our workplaces, in our cities, in our schools, on our neighborhoods. We are just going to shine Jesus everywhere. And this is always what the church was. Today, we want to discover the secrets of Christianity in the book of Acts so that we can live out our Christian calling as a church. You see, the greatest desire of a church is to be fully pleasing God. And often there's times, you know, as the church gets bigger, it's not as easy to move this ship, right? It's a very heavy ship. Everybody has their own intentions. And then we become the problem, like we're serving each other's problems, that we don't have time for the world's problems. That's another huge sin on the church. And that the priests and the congregation and the servants we're all serving each other's problems and our, our marital problems and our kids and our this and our... The world will never hear the gospel like this. Never. There's no chance. And the devil is brilliant and making us so distracted and we have ministries and all this stuff and it's all for what? Ourselves. Good job. What's wrong with us? You see... The greatest desire of the church has to be fully pleasing to God. Every time, sometimes I'm, I'm praying in my room and I'm asking, Lord, like, is this what you want? And, and, and I, and I kind of say, okay, like, just don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. Shame on me as a leader. Shame on me as the leader. And shame on you if you don't allow the church to be led in the way that it should be led. The church is not supposed to be like this. Church is supposed to be fire. You see, in the Gospels, the Son of Man offered his life. In the book of Acts, the Son of Man offered his spirit and his power. The Gospels modeled the Christian life under a perfect man. Acts models the perfect Christian life under an imperfect people. Right? You have imperfect people, sinners that are going out and doing all of these things. So when you read the Gospels, it's Jesus. Okay, we expect that. But when you read Acts, those are sinful, weak, imperfect people. Understanding the book of Acts and all that is meant to be conveyed to our church today will really make a difference in our Christian perspective. Let's look at what it says Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, what he's saying is, what is this new baptism? 
He says, St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, This grace was not in part, but his power was in full perfection. So you know what he's saying? What's happening here is the spear is going to come in completion, in perfection. That when you will baptize with the spear, it's not going to be... No, you are going to be like oozing with the spirit of God. When you light a piece of iron, you know, like with, with fire, it's cold and dark and it becomes hot and bright. How much more will the Holy Spirit work in the people of God when this people of God are filled with the Holy Spirit. I read a beautiful description. It's like if you've ever gone sailing, you've ever been on a sailboat, you have a big sail, okay? And it says the Holy Spirit is the wind and the sail are the gifts, the spiritual gifts of the people. That when the Spirit is working through the people, it manifests itself in such power. It moves in a great way that each and every one of us has a unique gift and a unique power. Every single one. Yes, you. The person that doesn't think you're looking at the guy next to you. You have that gift. The Spirit of God has given gifts to men and women of the church to be working mightily. And the sail is you and the wind of the Holy Spirit comes through you. What will that show? Read the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. So how should we function as a church, as families, as the people of God? You see, we want to fulfill God's will. Let's read. It says, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Let me explain what's happening. Jesus had already resurrected. Okay, he's about to ascend to heaven, and these are his last words to his disciples. And he's telling them, they're saying, are you now back and you're going to fix this whole Israel thing and the Jews and the Roman Empire? He says this, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Unbelievable. He's saying, you shall receive power. You're going to receive a promise from the Father. So the church from Acts, sorry, sorry, from the 40th day after the resurrection, which was last Thursday, to Pentecost, this is a time of waiting always in the mind of the church, waiting for the filling of the Holy Spirit, praying, coming to liturgies, as families getting to say, Lord, give us your Holy Spirit that we can impact our neighbors and our friends at school and our people at work, that we can impact the world. You see, the word witness occurs 39 times in the book of Acts. In 28 chapters, it occurs 39 times. It's a call to witness, to be a witness of the life and resurrection of the power of Jesus. What does that mean? Witness is not to just talk about it. It's not just to talk about the power of the resurrection, but to show the power of the resurrection. That, that in my life, God is giving me grace to love when it's hard. Giving me the ability to impact and to serve and to look past the, 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 the hard times and say, Lord, use me. Families should be getting together saying, Lord, use us. That when, when our kids go to go play with other kids, you say, all right, kids, you know what you're out to do there. 
you know what your mission is. My, uh, my son in eighth grade goes to, to one of the local public schools here, and he, he's on a WhatsApp group of all the kids in school. It's a terrible WhatsApp group, okay? It's terrible. And he comes to me the other day, he's sitting in the car, and he says, Dad, look at what this kid just put in the WhatsApp group. And he, he's telling, it's like 500, or I don't know, 400, like 7th and 8th grade teenage boys, okay? And he says, I want you guys to know that Jesus loves you. He died for you and he resurrected, and he wants you to have a new life in him. Power. That's power. And he's like, can I get an amen? And all of a sudden you see amen, 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 amen on the WhatsApp group. And I'm like, this is, this is amazing that some kid knows his purpose is to go into his school, wherever the WhatsApp group is, and to shine Christ where there is darkness. That, to me, is life-changing. You see, to be a witness isn't to, be a, to give like a counterfeit life, to show the counterfeit life of Christ, but to duplicate it. You see, witnessing means our lives must display the inner reality the inner reality of what we externally proclaim. What does that mean? Our lives are supposed to have an inner reality inside of you. A deep love of Christ. A commitment to Christ. A worship of Christ inside of you. That when you proclaim, it's not just some empty words like, I'm just telling this for you, but not for me. Is this your inner reality? That I want to serve Christ that I want to witness to Christ, that I want to show because I love Christ so much that I have to share His gospel. I have to witness it, not outstanding on a street corner preaching, but in the personal impact of the filling of Christ in your life. There are plenty of people within the church that read really good books. They can quote the church fathers. They know all the Bible verses. But not everybody has this inner reality. You see, the world is looking for authentic believers. An authentic believer. You know, a lot of the youth, they come to me and they say, Abuna, and the people, my friends, and they're not so good, and, and maybe they're bringing me down. I'm like, your friends are waiting for you to be the example. You are the one that they got to look up to and say, look, look at that kid. He's a good kid. You're waiting to find somebody else to be the good kid. You're supposed to be the good kid. You're supposed to be the one in the workplace that they say, there is an honest woman that works with us. That there is a, 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 a sincere person who follows his faith. One of the converts that came to our church was, um, she was in a workplace and it was during, uh, it was during a, a Ramadan and there was a bunch of, and it was at the same time as Lent. And a bunch of men, they're, they're fasting Ramadan and like the jokes were like they were joking and they were inappropriate and, and th this was a Muslim lady and she felt like, like unsafe in this environment. She she's like, feels like everybody's talking inappropriately but we're all fasting. There was another guy from church who was in his corner at his desk. He was fasting. He was eating his little like PBJ or whatever it was quietly. Doesn't say he's just like reading his Bible on his lunch break. He's just not doing anything supernatural but he's just following Christ. She came, she said to him, what is your secret? He's like, like the PBJ sandwich? Like, what, what, what are you talking about? And she says, this. Everybody in this office is fasting, but you have something shining through you in your purity and in your simplicity. Something 
so beautiful to a life that, that is authentic in his following, following of Christ. I was sharing the beautiful story of the day in which in Egypt, in August 2013, when they burned 80 churches, of wor- places of worship in Egypt on one day. They went through the country and just started lighting up the Christian churches. And this most powerful thing took place in like the news and the Christians, the churches were all black in, in soot, right, from, from the fire. They took white spray paint on their burned churches and they said, we forgive. Authentic believers. This is no longer, well, your book says and my book says. Your whatever says. No, no, no. This is real power. I was sharing this uh, when I went to this Protestant church and people were just like crying. Like there's actually Christians that live like this. Like this is like a real thing. This isn't just one guy in his office. This is like a people of God. Authentic believers. So how do we deal? We deal with the wind of the Holy Spirit first in expectant belief. I chose this, this icon. This is the icon of the moving of the mountain of Mukattam. You know the story of when they came and they told the Coptic people in Egypt, they told them, your Bible says if you have faith as big as the seed of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Let's show, show us Coptic people, can you do that? Is this just like a fake story? Your Bible is fake. And so they said, well, it's like a spiritual reflection. They said, your Bible says, show us what you got. And if you don't, either you all convert to, to out of Christianity or you're going to be martyred. And St. Mary went to the bishop and said, you have a very pure holy man named Simon the Tanner. Bring him and go tell him to gather all the congregation. So the bishop goes and says, St. Mary told me to come get you. And he says, okay, don't worry. Don't, don't single me out. I'm going to be with all the people. We're going to go and we're going to say the Kyrie Eleison's. We're going to stand before the mountain on this day. And they stood. Kyrie Eleison, Kyrie Eleison, Kyrie Eleison. hundred times, two hundred times. All of a sudden, shh, the mountain shakes. It starts to lift up. A little bit more. A little bit more. Until they could see the sun under, look at this icon. They could see the sun from under the mountain. The mountain went so high that it went above the sun. This is what we call expectant belief. They didn't stand in front of this mountain, crossing their fingers and saying, please God, please no, please no, please no. They said, we will show you the power of our faith. And they went and they started saying the Kirillisons. If you look in the history of books, it says that the mountain of Mukattam of Egypt, this is the history books of Egypt, says is no longer in the place that it was. It used to be in the city. Now it's on like the outskirts of the city. The mountain moved like completely by the faith and the expectant belief of Christians. What do you expect your Christ to do? What do you expect your Christ to do? Somebody is bothering you in your neighborhood, in your the cubicle next to you, you say, okay, they don't know what they have coming to them. A Christian has just moved into this office. How did you get this position? I don't know. I don't deserve this position, but God wanted that guy to believe. And so that's why I got the job. Okay, like you are in the cubicle that you're in because this guy needs to believe. 
you just expect and you pray. You say, Lord, you move the mountain. For sure, for sure, there is no doubt in my mind that the Lord will want to use you to touch every life around you. Expectant belief. After Christ's resurrection, they had 40 days of gatherings in the upper room. And the apostolic church is the one expecting. So they're spending 10 days from ascension to Pentecost. They're in the upper room. Everybody wants to kill them. And they're praying. They said, the Lord said there's going to be a promise. He didn't say 10 days from now. He says there's going to be a promise. And they're praying. And they're reading scriptures. And they're praying. And it's been one day. And they're praying, it's two days, three days, now it's Sunday, now it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Are we going to live in this room forever? Waiting, expecting. God, there is a promise from the Father to fill the church. That's you. There is a promise from the Father to fill the church. That's you. It's expectant belief. They believed that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them and they were going to receive a promised power. And there was no doubt in their minds that they were going to receive a feeling of the Holy Spirit in their minds. And they're sure. I know of people that when they, when they give sermons, you know, somebody was telling me, he said, like, I, I just expect God to change people. I, it's no longer anymore. I used to be nervous. He says, I just expect God is going to change people. He has to. I'm his servant. Right? This is what he's telling me. I'm, I'm God's servant. I expect that God has to use me. Expectant belief. This is where the believers need to be challenged. When you pray, do you pray expecting that God is going to make a difference? So I'm, I'm, we're preparing a, a group from Kenya. And whenever I prepare groups, I like to scare them. Whenever anybody who goes on a mission with me, I like to scare them a lot. Why? But I... I I have them expect that something amazing is going to happen. And anybody that's gone on a mission has seen amazing things, not because I'm an amazing tour guide, but because we're doing the work of God. How could he not use us? Like, why would he not use us? Why would we go with 40 youth to God knows where just for God to, like, you know, laugh at us from heaven? Expectant belief. There's a beautiful story that I read a long time ago. It says, as the drought continued for what seemed very long, a small community of farmers was in a quandary as to what to do. Rain was important to keep their crops healthy and sustain the way of life of the people in the town. As the problem became bigger, the local pastor called a prayer meeting to ask for rain. Many people arrived. The pastor, the pastor greeted most of them as they filled in. As he walked to the front of the church to officially begin the prayer meeting, he noticed most people were chatting across the aisles and socializing with their friends. When he reached the front, his thoughts were on quieting the attendees to start the prayer meeting. His eyes scanned the crowd and he asked for quiet. He noticed an 11-year-old girl sitting quietly in the front row. Her face was beaming with excitement. Next to her, poised and ready for use, was a bright red umbrella. The little girl's beauty and innocence made the pastor smile as he realized how much faith she possessed. No one else in the congregation had brought an umbrella. All came to pray for rain, but the little girl had come expecting God to answer. Expectant belief. 
that this girl is going to a prayer meeting to pray for rain. God is going to make it rain, so I need to make sure I have a what? An umbrella. There is a certain type of spiritual umbrella that you need to bring with you as you are expecting. That we as a church need to prepare and believe that we need an umbrella because God is going to bring rain. He's going to change souls. He's going to turn uh, uh, our youth group upside down. He's going to turn our neighborhood upside down. This is something that we need to be filled with. Then expectant prayer. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and mother of Jesus and with his brothers. You guys know the story of when St. Peter was in prison? St. Peter was in prison. I'll tell it to you. We're not going to read it to you. He was in prison, surrounded by guards, and an angel comes to wake up Peter, and he begins to like, Peter, get up, get up. Peter wakes up, and he thinks that he's seeing a vision, and the angels begin to take Peter through the prison. The prison doors open. He goes before the first troop of guards, the second group, and he gets out. And the angel says, all right, there you go. So then Peter ends up going to the house of St. Mark, where everybody's gathering and praying. And he knocks on the door, and a woman named Rhoda opens the door, and in complete shock of seeing Peter, she slams the door in his face and goes back and says, guys, I saw Peter outside. And they're like, go open the door. Peter is like a wanted man running through Jerusalem, and, and you just close the door in his face. You know why? It was almost like she wasn't expecting to see Peter. That they open the door, you're praying for Peter, you're asking God for Peter, Peter's right there. And this is how the church works. This is how the Holy Spirit works. It's expectant prayer. Look what Luke 11, the Lord tells us in Luke eleven thirteen It says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'll tell you, a rushed request in your prayers is often forgotten and doesn't bring any fruit. You know, you say a prayer just because you're praying, so you just say it kind of like, like on the go. Don't do that anymore. The Bible's telling us that we need to have a prayer that believes and a prayer that asks the Father to give the Holy Spirit. He says, how much more if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Like, I can't look at my kids. If Ava asks me something, like, I, 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 I'm going to punish whoever taught Ava to say, Daddy, can you give me? Right? Like, like if she says, Daddy, can you give me? The answer, of course, is yes. Okay? He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, the Holy Spirit comes with gifts and power. And the ability to do wonderful things. There's a beautiful story of a monk. One of our Coptic monks went to Mexico City. And he went to Mexico City because we have a few Egyptian families there to go and to serve them. He gets there during Holy Week. And he, I think I told you guys the story. But he gets there during Holy Week. And he is there. He doesn't know any Spanish. And he is at the church. And all of a sudden, all of the icons are bringing down oil. Oil is coming out of the icons. And so news kind of gets around the city, and there's a local news, uh, newscaster came and found out, and he started interviewing Abuna, and they're saying, well, tell us about the Coptic church, and what's going on, and what's happening in your church, and he's speaking in Arabic, he's speaking in Arabic, he doesn't know how to speak Spanish, he doesn't know anything, 
And so one of the congregation members is watching TV, runs to the church, says, Abuna, you know Spanish? He's like, no. He's like, Abuna, you were just speaking Spanish on TV. He's like, what are you talking about? He said, Abuna, I was sitting, drinking my coffee, watching TV, watching the news, and you were on speaking Spanish explaining to us about the Coptic church. He said, I was speaking Arabic. Power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody started to know about the Coptic church in the area. Power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we need to expect. Prayer that believes. And then prayer in unity. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Acts chapter 4, 32, this verse. If you read the beginning of Acts chapter 5, and it says, and there were thousands being added daily. Daily, right? Why? Because of this unity. We need unity. We need love. Unity, not just like we get along. That's not unity. Unity between our cultures. I love that we have a diverse congregation. I love that we have different cultures within our congregation. We need to have that uniqueness and that love that says we can't tell what culture these people are. Are they Egyptian? Are they Ethiopian? Are they white? Are they Mexican? Who are these people? You're like, they're just one big happy family. Unity moves mountains. Unity can shake the world. If anybody came into a place and found people serving, the rich serving the poor, the poor, do, like everybody serving everybody, this is how a church is supposed to look like. We need unity in order for the Lord to make an impact. And if, if you or myself or anyone has been blocking that unity, we need to repent. Because God will work mightily through unity. We need that unity. We need God to make a difference, but he's not going to work when we're all divided. It says a, a, a house divided among itself cannot stand. And so unity is not uniformity, meaning we're not all have to be the same. Everybody has a unique gift. Everybody shines in their own way. Everyone is doing something, you know, in a special way. The greeters, the lovely greeters that greet you on your way in, the coffee team. The coffee team is the most powerful team ever because the, the first thing you see after a long liturgy and a fast is a smiling face coming and saying good morning, giving you a nice cup of coffee and shoving a muffin down your throat. Like, I love it. I love it. Abuna, get over here. You forgot your muffin. I love it. That's, that's beauty. That's beauty in a church family. I love seeing the person that goes and, and grabs like, like a trash bag and starts picking up trash from the parking lot. Unity. Everybody's got a role. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. But when we know and say that any of the things that we possess is not our own, I'm talking about your money, not just for the church, but for each other, that God didn't give you a raise for you to upgrade your car. He gave you a raise for you to upgrade the kingdom of God. Not, not to be fancy, but to make it wider. That when we build churches and when we start you know, new ministries and we send out missions and we, do, we, we expand, we say, this money is not my own, it's God's. And so this is how we build his kingdom is that nothing is my own. Even St. Paul says, I consider my life not dear to myself. My own life isn't dear to me. You're not going to talk about money. My own life is not my own. 
Prayer and unity make such a big difference. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They knew that they themselves could do nothing. Just going through routines and going through the motions, week after week, doesn't do anything. We need, as a church, to depend on Him. We need to do prayer meetings together, asking God, what's next for St. Mark's? Not like, what new building are we going to build? unless it has a purpose for the kingdom of God. But like, what are we, 3,000 God-loving, God-fearing people in the middle of Fairfax, Virginia, why are we here? Why is there 10 million Coptic people in the heart of the Middle East, or 15 million in the middle of the Middle East where there is no Christianity around it? Why? You're there for a reason. The Coptic church is in the middle of the most volatile hostile place in the whole world with 15 million Christians stuck right in the middle for a reason. It's not by chance. The Coptic Church has a mission to shine there and here. So we have a big, big mission. He desires to breathe His power into us. Let us expect that great power. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace will be upon us. You will feel the grace of God flowing through every word, every action, every dollar spent. Everything you do will be filled with grace because you're living for Him and not for yourself. And glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.